0: Well, hello, welcome back to the Pulpit Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study as we continue our series of lessons around these two words, but God. And we're gonna look at 13 of these throughout this series. We're on lesson number seven this time. And this week's lesson takes us to Psalm 73. We find a man named Asaph in a very vulnerable time in his life when he is opening up his heart and sharing about a time when he had severe envy and jealousy and frustration with the wicked, with how they were prospering, and most of all, how God was handling it. And we're going to see what turned it around for him. And I think this is a a great passage. I call it at the very beginning a classic passage. And it may not be classic as in like John 3.16, but it's a passage that is a help to you if you've ever struggled with this. And I think we go through it, we walk through the whole passage, and I really think it'll be a help to you this week. So thank you for listening. If there's anything that we can do for you, whether it be at our church, Faith Baptist Church, or here at Pulpit to Pew Podcast, we want to be a help to you. Please don't hesitate to let us know. We want to encourage you to sign up for the newsletter. It comes out each Monday. You can go to bradmcclure.org, O-R-G. and You can go to Join the Pulp to Pew Crew, and you can get a newsletter. We had some new, um, at least one new Sign up this week, and we're thankful for that. So without further ado, here is this week's study. I kind of entitled it, When Our Heart and Our Flesh Grow Weary. Here it is. Let's go to Psalm 73 today. Psalm 73. And we are in a passage that I, I said was a classic passage. It may not be as familiar to you, but if you've ever... If you've ever been in a position where you are looking at someone, people that do not claim to love God, they, they have no interest in God at all, but they seem to be prospering. And if you have fallen into that kind of trap on those words where you say, why are they getting everything and I, as a Christian, as a follower of God, am, and then whatever it is. If you've ever fallen into that trap, you're not an original, all right? It happened all the way back... In Psalm, it's happened many times, but in Psalm 73, we find a man named Asaph. This is not a Psalm of David, it's a Psalm of Asaph, who was a who was a worship leader. He, he would lead singing, he was very musical, but he writes here much like the other Psalms, much like David's Psalms, and one of the reasons why I like Psalms so much is because, probably more than any other part in the Bible, they really help us explore the depths of the heart because the psalmist would write from their heart they would write what they were going through i think we are so often too careful to try to sound spiritual that we are hesitant to share what is going on in the depths of our heart but the psalmist weren't they would tell they were pretty open and saying here's my struggles here's my doubts here's my frustrations And they write about him, and that's what Asaph did here in this one. He's expressing some frustration, and he's sharing some frustration because he's been a faithful follower of God, and he's watching the wicked prosper. And so in our text, I'm going to go through the psalm, but let's find our but God phrase. It's in Psalm 73, verse 26, and I want you to see where he was because he says in verse 26, My flesh... And my heart faileth. I don't think he was saying literally, my body is breaking down. I don't think he, maybe there were some physical pains that come from the frustration and depression and discouragement. I don't think he said his, his heart, the ticker, was giving out, that he could feel it giving out. I don't think he was saying that. I think he was at a place of just complete frustration and depression and discouragement. And he was saying, I just, I don't feel like I can even go on anymore. And he was just overwhelmed. But then the next two words, he says, But God. I love this verse. Because this verse is so open, it's so transparent, it, it, and it is where we can get so often where we feel like our flesh is physically feeling the weight of this world. Our heart is dealing with the emotions of this world. And we feel like, hey, I'm failing right now. I'm going to give up. I'm not going to make it any longer. But God. He says, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion or my inheritance forever. So I want to back up and I want us to see, as he did, I want us to see where he has, what he's come through. What is it that has caused him to have such a struggle? And when we back up, even in verse one, in verse one, he is writing the summary of where he is now. He it's, he's writing this after coming through this discouraging time and he's looking back and he says in verse one, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as of our, as are of a clean heart. So that's his thesis in a sense. That's the truth that he knows to be true, but he's going to tell us a little bit about his heart right now. It's almost like he's, if you're watching a movie, he's going to pan back to the past and he says, this is where I am right now, but Let me take you back to what my heart has been going through. And he begins to tell us a story starting in verse number 2. In verse 2 he says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Here we see Asaph's faltering faith. This is what I call it. his faltering faith. And the reason, and I want you to get these two terminologies, the reason his faith was faltering is because he had a man-centered perspective. And when I'm reading through these next few verses, and we're going to comment on briefly on them, I want you to see the man-centeredness that he had. He was very man-centered in the way he looked at life. And because he was man-centered in how he looked at life, it led to the emotions of that he's feeling in this text. So look at what he says. He says, My feet were almost gone. My steps were well nigh slipped past. In verse number 3, he says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So here's this, that's really a, a great starting point for where he was. He was envious. His heart was looking at these wicked people that did not like their God, Jehovah, that wasn't an Israelite, that didn't care at all, but they were prospering in everything that they did. And he was envious at the foolish. And so in verses 4 and 5, we see that he, his perspective was their lives were trouble-free. Here's what it, look, verse 4. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. So he's, he's, from his man-centered perspective, he said their lives seem to be trouble-free. They seem to be doing just fine. And they, they don't even love God. They don't care about God. But their lives are trouble-free. In verse 6, he seems to indicate that they're flaunting their sinful ways. He says, Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain violence covereth them As a garment. He says they they're they're flaunting their their who they are and what they're doing and in their sinful ways. They don't even care in the next verse. Verse 7, he seems to indicate that they get everything that they desire. Everything they want, they get. it says in verse 7, their eyes stand out with fatness. You ever see that word fatness in our King James Bible? It's always just talking about being enlarged with what you want. It's not talking about like me. You're not going to see me next to it. He's saying they're enlarged with everything that they want. So he says their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than a heart could wish. It says they've got everything they desire. Verses 8 through 10, he talks about how they speak with arrogance and they gain a following. He says they are corrupt. Doesn't it, sound, it sounds like Facebook in a sense. All their followers. Look at everybody that likes them. It says they are corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heathen, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. He's, he's speaking in a very poetic way because this is a song, remember, that, that he's writing. And so this isn't just words written down on a page. This is a song. But in this poetic way, he seems to be indicating that, that these people are, are gaining a following. They're full of pride and full of arrogance. But, but people like them, so their lives seem to be trouble-free. They're flaunting their sinful ways. Everything they, they get everything that they want. They're arrogant, but they have a following. In verse 11, he says, they mock God. And verse 11, he says, and they say, how doth God know? And is their knowledge of the Most High? He said, they just mock God. And so in verse 12, he gives a summary. And the summary from his man-centered perspective is this. He says, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world They increase in riches. That's where he's at. Now, I want you to be honest in your own heart. You don't have to answer this out loud. You don't even have to nod your head. But have you ever been there? You may use different terminology. You may not use old English terminology here in the poetic psalm. But you may be looking and saying, why is that person have and I don't have? And the understanding background and the assumption is, I am a follower of God, they are not a follower of God, they have this, I have this. Or they're living in sin, and they have this, and I'm trying to keep short accounts of sin and stay right, and I this. And we can get into that game. It's a thousand-year-old mindset that we can get into. And the perspective is a man-centered perspective that he has. But his faith is faltering. And what's his conclusion? Notice Asaph's conclusion here about this over the next few verses. In verses 13 through 17, he's very open with his conclusion, his thoughts in this moment. Now, he doesn't stay here, but he says, look at verse 13. I think this is a bold one. He says, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. So he's basically saying, I've wasted my time doing right. What a waste. What a waste it is to follow after god what a waste to make sure my sins are dealt with because obviously i can just go live in sin and everything's going to be okay if i go live in sin i'm going to be trouble free i'm going to be able to flaunt my sinful ways i'm going to get everything i desire i'm going to get a following i can mock god and get away with it so what i have done has been empty and vain he's being honest isn't he and sometimes we can get discouraged with that same thought he says in verse 14 for all the day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. He's given his side. He said, I feel like I'm plagued all the time. I'm chastened by God. Things are happening to me every single morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of my children. When I thought to know this, I was, it was too painful for me. He said, just every time I thought about this situation, it was just too painful. I just got so frustrated. I couldn't deal with the fact That they had this and I had nothing. I'm plagued. I'm chastened. They're blessed. They're flaunting it. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. It's everywhere. I'm sure he was thinking that at that time. I'm sure. And he says, It's everywhere and I just can't deal with it. That's where he's at. And if I closed up right now and I said, Let's pray, it would be a discouraging message. That's where he was. And that's where we sometimes get when we, in the, Why we stay here for however long we stay there is because we've allowed Satan to put the glasses of man-centered perspective on us. And all we can see is this earth. All we can see is man-centered. And it it just seems overwhelming. Like he said, it's just too painful. But then look at verse 17. Because this is the turning point. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. That's the turning point. Now the sanctuary is not the church. Remember there was no church in the Old Testament, but it was a place where they would go and offer their sacrifices, worship God. Uh, So it's the same application as we would have today of church. So I'm not going to sit here and say, when he went to church, that's when everything changed. No, he went to the sanctuary. There wasn't a church. But the application is the same. He went to, can I say it this way? He went to the place that he was supposed to go to worship God, and the glasses of a man-centered perspective then came off, and he got the proper perspective of a God-centered perspective. And so you and I are not going to go back to a place and start worshiping, or start sacrificing animals and worshiping God that way. That's not what my application is today. But I do believe that when we put ourselves in the right place no matter what our heart is telling us that's what I love about this this honesty of Asaph he could have said I'm not going to the sanctuary I'm seeing this happen I'm seeing this happen and so I'm not going to go to the place where I should go to worship God because of all that God is doing but he didn't have that foolish rebellion in his heart he had questions he was hurt he was upset but he still put himself in the right place. And you know what? Don't, don't feel bad if you come to church sometimes and you have some questions in your heart. Don't feel like a hypocrite if you come to church and you're doubting or you're discouraged or you're frustrated. That means you're human. That means you're going through emotions. That means you're seeing things in your life. You don't have to have it all put together and perfect to come to this church or any church. And God understands that there's gonna be times you won't see anywhere in Psalms 73 or even in Job's life where where God is going to get angry and smite them because of their feelings. No, feelings are like this. You're gonna have some of that this time in life, and you're gonna see things that you don't understand, you're gonna wrestle with it internally. And even though he internally he had this wrestling match going on, he still went to the sanctuary, he still did what he was supposed to do, he still started to worship God. And then when he did that, he was able to see from the proper perspective. His turning point was when he went from man's perspective to God's perspective. When he went to the sanctuary where he was supposed to be, and Asaph then saw a restored faith. And I want you to see over the next few verses, his restored faith. It says in verse 18, surely... Thou didst, so now he's speaking to God. Instead of speaking all man-centered about himself and using the terminology of... You know, in verses 13 through 11, you see he's always talking about I. In verses 1 through 12, he kept saying, he kept saying they, 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 they. And then in those, those verses there, 13 through 16, he was saying I, I, I. But now you're going to see the pronoun change. He's going to start saying you, 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 talking to God. Big change in perspective. And I find that in my life, when I start to say they, they, they on this horizontal level, or I, 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 that's when I'm in a bad emotional place. But when I get my perspective back on God, that's what prayer, that's what I think yesterday did a lot for our church in times of prayer. We were all just focusing on God. we're focusing on who he is and we were getting back to him so notice you'll see a pronoun change here surely thou that is a different pronoun talking to god did set them in slippery places and casteth them down into destruction how were they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with tears god he's talking about here in verses 18 through 20 the future of the wicked. He started to see things from a different perspective. He started to see more than just the current situation, but he started to see that there's more to life than just right now. He says he starts talking about the desolation. Verse 20 says, As a dream, when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. You see, the future of the wicked is, is gleam. It's not going to be, it's not bright so they may prosper on this earth. They may have a lot of Facebook followers. They may have a lot of money on this earth. But as I think I may say again in a second, that's not going to follow them. This is as good as it's going to get for them. Our perspective is, needs to be eternal instead of just so limited to the right now. And so this is as good as it's going to get for them. And he started to see from a God-centered perspective the future of the wicked. And then he started to recognize his own foolishness in verse 21 he said thus my heart was grieved and i was pricked in my reins. so foolish was i and ignorant i was as a beast before thee he started with this new perspective he was able to see how foolish his way of thinking was and it's amazing how we can have two different drastically different thoughts about something on two different days depending on what's going on Maybe one time when we're just wallowing around in, the, in the, the pit of depression, discouragement, and all the negativity, then all of a sudden we are, we're there, but then we hear a song or a sermon or a time of prayer, and all of a sudden our perspective changes. It's the glasses that you put on. Are, you, are they going to be a man-centered focus or a God-centered? That's going to affect the direction of those emotions. And so he said, I was so foolish in verses 23 and 24, he, has, he shows that he's got total confidence in God now, in his life and in his death. In verse, verse uh, 23, he says, Nevertheless, and I like these verses. I underlined some of these in my Bible. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Notice, he started to understand the presence of God. He said, God, I have you with me all the time. I'm not alone. Sometimes this this way of thinking gets us feeling that we are alone but he said i'm not alone god you are continually with me i have you with me at all times you are at my right hand and then in verse 24 he says thou shalt guide me with counsel see the wicked don't have anyone to guide them they're actually wandering around from from one thing of pleasure to the next thing of pleasure but they feel they have the sense of emptiness they have the sense of alone they have the sense of something is missing but we as Christians have that void filled by Jesus Christ. We have something that they're longing for. We have, we have the Christ with us continually and he guides us with his counsel. And it says in afterward, receive me the glory. When this life is over for us, he's going to take us to heaven. We get to spend eternity in heaven one day. Now that's going to be an amazing thing. We're going to get to see our loved ones. We're going to, I'm going to see how Dan and his wife get along up in heaven because I know she thumped him around on this earth and I got a feeling the first few minutes he's up there she's going to give him a thumping or two again if, she, if God allows her to. We're going to be reunited with our loved ones. It's a different perspective. It, 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 he started to see that God, this is just such a temporary place and it's, it's hard to teach this and it's because life is all we know obviously so this seems huge it seems big that you know we want to have money to pay the bills we want to have a good job we want to have a good name we want to have good care we want to have these things and all of that is fine but we have to remember that the 75 or 80 or 90 years that we have on this earth is so small in light of eternity and so he said, I was so foolish. He said, because I have you continually with me. You guide me. You, and you give me counsel. But then one day you will receive me up to glory. So his whole perspective is changing. And as his God perspective is now there, he also has complete contentment now. Because in verse 25 he says, Who, Whom have I in heaven but thee? There was none upon earth that I desire beside thee now all of a sudden his perspective is changing he's saying God I don't desire anything but you well before you were concerned because they had a big following in verses 8 through 10 now he doesn't care as long as I've got God on my side that's all that he cares about before he was upset about uh, several things them flaunting their sinful ways they, that they seem trouble free but now he was content that I have God with me even if I'm in my troubles he, he would much rather have God with him in his troubles than he would to have no troubles and be on his own and alone. And so his perspective is changing. And I and I, I, I want to emphasize that with you and I because it's not like you can just go push a button. You wake up in a discouraging mood one day and you say, all right, I need to find that button. I'm going to go fit this button so I can put on my new perspective. It's not going to happen like that. So how do we flip the switch on our perspective to get in the right perspective? Well, I think we got to we got to go back to 17, and we just got to do what we know we're supposed to do. So the right perspective is going to come from me understanding God, and so I'm going to spend some time in prayer to God, even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to spend some time in God's Word, even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to worship God. I'm going to sing the hymns. I'm going I'm to get involved. I'm going to listen to the preaching. I'm going to allow myself to be influenced by, the, by God's teaching, God's Word, and God's Holy Spirit, so that i don't get stuck in that man-centered perspective and it's going to be a fight to do that you're not going to want to you're going to try to wrestle with it but when he went to the sanctuary of god when he did what he was supposed to in worshiping god then he understood their end and so now he's got complete contentment his contentment's not on these earthly things which pass away but his contentment now is in the sufficiency and the satisfaction that's only available in god that's where he's at And that's what leads us to our verse in verse 26 when he says, My flesh and my heart faileth. That's where he was. He said, I was just, I had failed. I I was giving up. I was about to give in. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I like that little phrase there, my portion forever, because you remember over in Ephesians, it talks about our inheritance that we have in Christ. And this word portion in the Old Testament is an interesting one. You remember the Levites? We did a study somewhere. I don't remember what I think it was this class, but we did a study, and the Levites weren't, didn't have an inheritance. They didn't get a land. Every, every, all the other tribes got a land or got a place, but the Levites didn't because their inheritance was God himself. He said, you are going to be my, my servants in the temple, and you are gonna, your inheritance is me. Well, what this Asaph was understanding is that our inheritance, our portion is Christ and is all that he is. And so he may not have a lot of things on this earth like the wicked, but he has Jesus Christ. He says, you are my portion. That's my contentment now. And as long as we are on this earth got a, a covetous mindset, which is one of the last 10 commandments, by the way, thou shalt not covet. But we have that mindset that I have to have this And this is going to bring me pleasure. And this is going to bring me satisfaction. This is going to bring me acceptance with people. You're going to constantly be in the cycle of discouragement. You're going to constantly be in the cycle of frustration. Because it doesn't fulfill you. Only Jesus Christ does. And that may sound spiritual. But when you learn the truth. That having this won't bring me contentment. Nothing wrong with having it. I like to have... I got the new iPhone in my back pocket right now recording this. I kind of like having the new iPhone when it comes out. Do I have to have it? No. My last one got a crack in it, and it killed. I just absolutely killed me. I couldn't get rid of this that phone fast enough. It was bothering me. This one, I've got a screen protector on, and it's got a crack on it. I'm, I'm, I need to get it fixed. It bothers me. Now, is my satisfaction in, my, in everything wrapped up in that I have to have that? No, I don't. But we can get very materialistic in our society. But he said, Mine with my he said, God centered perspective, my contentment is in Jesus Christ. And God helped him to change that mindset. In the last two verses, he says this, For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Here's his new perspective. He's now realizing they may have everything, and they may be flaunting it, they may seem trouble free, they may be arrogant, and have a following and mock you, but God one day they're gonna perish. That was destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. But I like, I love this next verse. I love this next verse. But it is good for me to draw near to God. And I've put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. I love this verse. You see, so this phrase, I wrote about it in the bulletin today when you get it. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I just think we need to memorize that little phrase right there. Cuz when you get to that place where you're like, "You know what? I'm just so frustrated with work. I don't know what to do. It's good for me to draw near to God right now." But you know, I just don't this Ukraine thing, what's going on over there? It's got me so nervous. What's happening? It's good for me to draw near to God. Well, I don't know what we're going to do about this bill. I don't know how we're going to handle this situation. This is overwhelming. My kids, are this, it's good for me to draw near to God. That's where you start. That's where you start. You say, well, that doesn't answer my problem. That doesn't fix the Ukraine thing. No, no, no. I'm not trying to fix the Ukraine thing. I'm trying to keep you out of wallowing around and anxiety and depression and discouragement, so get near God and let the Ukraine thing work itself out. Yeah, but that's not going to pay my bill. I mean, I still have absolutely nothing to pay that bill, and I've got to. So you're saying for it's good for me to draw near God? Yes, because when you're near God. You look to him as the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You realize that he can provide. So stay near him because what's happening, what happens in our lives, is one problem that does need to be dealt with turns into a hundred problems because we allow worry and anxiety and discouragement and jealousy, in this case envy. All, when all of that comes, all of a sudden it compounds the problem. But that's why I think our first step's got to be when I'm discouraged, when I'm overwhelmed, when I have this going on, my first thing is it's good for me to draw near to God. And that's what he did in verse 17. Because I'm telling you in verse 13, it didn't sound good. He says, it's pointless for me. Basically, it's vain, it's empty. Why am I even doing anything for God? And he got in a very bad spot. But it's like in verse, at the end of verse 16, he thought it's good for me to draw near to God. And he went to the sanctuary and everything changed. And so I, I hope that you, in your heart, no matter what is going on in your life, when you feel like your flesh is just beaten down by the, the things of life and you feel like your heart, from the emotions of everything, the envy and the jealousy and all that could be going on, that I think that this is a good verse when you say the flesh is the physical, the heart is the mental and the emotional. When those seem to be breaking down, it's good to draw near to God. Because when you get near to God, it's going to change the way you're viewing this situation. It's going to give you grace and strength to help in time of need. It's going to fill you up so that you can face and tackle the problem that's ahead and trust Him by faith. And God is, He takes care of us, He's going to take care of us. And so, Asaph was very open and very transparent in this psalm. It's a classic psalm of Psalm 73. If you ever hear someone say, turn to Psalm 73, and your mind ought to be going, "Uh uh-oh, here's the guy that envied the prosperity of the wicked. That's what it is every time. But he found himself drawing near to God, and that changed his whole perspective. And I guess my challenge for you today is this. Where's your perspective? Right now, is everything so man-centered? Or do you have a God-centered perspective? And however you answer that, it's going to tell me a lot about the the mood that you're in, how you're handling life, and how I'm handling life. And so my challenge, my last phrase is this. It's good for me, for you, to draw near to God.